When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kirsten, for that reading of scripture. This Advent season, we've been considering Mary and the song that she sings in Luke chapter one. And we've been learning how Mary is a model disciple. Mary is a model Christian disciple. We've been considering her faith. We've been considering how she worships God and how she feared God. And today we're gonna be considering something that might even surprise you. Today we're gonna consider how she received from the Lord. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? That's a phrase we hear all the time at this time of year, and it actually comes from the Bible. And giving is a huge part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's a huge theme for us at Christmas time, right? It's, it's virtuous to give and be generous, and that's often what Christianity is known for. And Jesus does that. As Jesus gets hold of our lives and he shows us who he is and what he's doing in the world, he forms us into people who start to focus less on ourselves and more on others, to be servants and givers, to be generous. But let me just say, this doesn't mean that receiving is bad. You might be surprised to know that even though giving is a part of the Christian life, so is receiving. And in order to live the Christian life, we actually need to learn to be recipients. We need to learn to receive. If we are going to love as God loves, and if we're going to give as God gives, not like begrudgingly, not stingily, but if we're going to give as God gives, we need to receive so that our giving flows out of an abundance supplied by God himself. Brene Brown rightly observed that until we can receive with an open heart, we're never really giving with an open heart. And what we see in Mary's song is that she received from the Lord. Her faith wasn't just a faith that gave and gave and gave, it was a faith that received from God. Christian faith is a receptive faith and that's what we're gonna explore this morning. So I'll invite you to pull out a Bible and open to Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 46. We're gonna read through all of Mary's song once again this week, and then we're gonna consider the last three verses, verses 53 to 55, 56. But we're gonna read Luke one, beginning in verse 46. And then if you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 831. 
And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This too is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come upon us that you would illumine our hearts and minds to hear these words afresh, that you would cause them to bring us into an encounter with the crucified and risen Lord Jesus, and that in this encounter we would be changed, and that we would go out from here renewed to live for him and to worship him. I pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. This morning, what we're going to do as we consider what it means to receive from the Lord is we're gonna explore what receptivity is. We're gonna consider a major barrier to receiving and then we're gonna consider the supreme gift that God wants us to receive. You'll remember that in her song, Mary has just been exploding with praise for God. Her praise is directed to God because her eyes are being opened to see just how much God has done in his commitment to to her people and to her personally. He's done mighty deeds we just heard about. He's saving. He is extending mercy. And what we're seeing in this song is that she is the recipient of so much. She receives grace. She's called the favored one, not because she had some special grace in her, but because God was about to fill her with his grace. She receives the power and action of the Holy Spirit who's creating this new life in her. She receives mercy. And in verses 53 and 55, Mary keeps singing about the gifts that God has given. Look in verse 53. She praises God because he is the God who has filled the hungry with good things. He is the God who satisfies our physical hunger and indeed our spiritual hunger. Verse 54, he gives help. He gives support to his people and he's been merciful to them. Now, what we need to know at this point is Mary is not describing a transaction She is not saying, look at me and look at how great I've been. Look at how great my people have been and therefore God is blessing us. She's not doing that. What she is describing, first of all, as she's receiving is a relationship. 
She's describing a relationship founded on the merciful action and character of God. This is huge. This is huge. It's all over Luke chapter one. It's a relationship where God is giving and giving and Mary and the whole world, even though the world doesn't know it, is receiving. And what this giving and receiving does is it draws Mary deeper into relationship and communion with this God. We've been seeing how she gives back to God trust and worship and reverence and surrender and obedience. Mary is a recipient. She receives the gifts of God and they draw her, draw her deeper into relationship with this God. And if you think about it, that's what a gift does, right? A, a gift makes a relationship between two parties closer, right? Why do you give gifts to some people and not to others? It's because the people you give gifts to, you have a relationship with, right? And what happens in the giving and receiving is that it, the social ties are reinforced. It, the relationship is deepened. That's what we're seeing here. Relationship is the basis for God's mercy. And Mary actually subtly references this relationship in verse 55 when she says the name Abraham. Look at verse 55 and 54. The end of verse 54 says that God is remembering to be merciful and, and she's not saying that God ever forgot to be merciful. She, she's saying that he is proving to be faithful. He is proving to be faithful. Remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors, Abraham, or Abram in the reading we read, who is then renamed Abraham. This name recalls a really important story from the Old Testament where God makes a covenant with Abraham. A covenant just means a special relational commitment. And we're gonna dig deeper into that in a minute, but right now, I just want you to know that mercy and covenant always go together. Um, God's gifts come in the context of this incredible relationship that he has initiated. It's not like a vending machine, right? Where we go and we put in obedience or we put in some reverence and then God blesses us. We receive the mercy of God not through a transactional investment but through a covenant commitment that God has first made to us in his mercy and goodness. And this means that we don't make God merciful to us. We don't make God bless us by obeying him. He already is. He already is. That's the order of grace. That's the order of grace. Mary is the prototypical disciple for so many reasons, but one is that she receives God's grace and promises. So let's talk about receptivity. What is receptivity? What is it not? Receptivity, being a receiver, is not taking matters into my own hands. Receptivity is also not passivity, but it's participation, okay? Let's consider Abraham. Mary recalls the covenant commitment that God made to Abraham uh, thanks, Kirsten, for doing that reading for us. 
And we have a lot to learn from Abraham in the Old Testament, um, to learn from his strengths and how he trusts God, but also to learn from how he screwed up. Abraham screwed up big time, big time. So what happens in this part of the Bible, and actually I invite you to turn back uh, to, to Genesis um, 12, or 17. And if you're in the Pew Bible, again, it's on page 12. I just want us to, to be in this part of the Bible for a bit this morning. We're gonna camp out here. From where we read, if you just turn one page back, what God has been doing since chapter 12 of Genesis is he's been drawing Abraham in. He's been drawing this man into a relationship with himself. He said, told Abraham he's going to give him a family and land, okay? Uh, so far, Abraham's just a wandering sojourner in the Middle East with his wife, right? Two, two people, uh, and he's got some extended family around him. But God says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a family, and I'm gonna give you land, and actually through your family, the entire world is gonna be blessed. Whoa, huge. And what happens is uh, in the chapter just before where we read in chapter 17, uh, Abraham has received this promise uh, that he's gonna have kids. And in chapter 16, if you look there, um, things aren't going so well. The, the problem was is that Abraham was old and Sarah was old and they didn't have any kids and it didn't look like God's promise was gonna happen. And as each day passed, it seemed more and more impossible that this promise was going to happen. So Abraham is in this position. He, he's a receiver of God's covenant and mercy and reaching out to him. But what happens is after he's received, as he's on the journey, um, it gets hard. And I'm sure we can relate to that, right? After the glories of God first reaching out to us as we walk the Christian life, trusting can be hard, especially when things get tough. And so in chapter 16, here's what happens. Look at verse two. Sarah, Abraham's wife, said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Whoa, what's happening here? First of all, she's not seeing God as, as being the solution or, or the one who's gonna carry out his promises. She sees God as the problem. The Lord has prevented me. And then she takes matters into her own hands. She comes up with this brilliant plan, right? Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I, notice I, I'm gonna do this. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agrees to it. And they go down this road. Notice the departure from receptivity, right? They've moved from receiving the promise to trying to make it happen themselves in their own way according to their own timing. And let me tell you, it totally backfires. It totally backfires. It introduces all this chaos and drama into their family system. And it ends with like violence and abuse and bitterness. 
and it just doesn't go well. See, what, what's happening here is, is Sarah and Abraham are actually falling into something that's really common for you and I to do. And it's actually uh, something that motivates a lot of the ways we turn away from God. Uh, Martin Luther once made the observation that the sin underneath all our sins, so the capital S sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. He's right. The the sin beneath all the little sins that we do is this fundamentally, I, I don't trust that God loves me and I don't trust that he's good. And so I need to step in. Have you ever done that in your life? Trying to live the Christian life in that way of taking things in our own hands is only gonna lead you to anxiety. It's gonna lead you to joylessness. It's gonna lead you to frustration. And one of two things is gonna happen is, is you're gonna burn out or you're gonna despair and throw the whole thing away, or you're gonna become spiritually proud and self-righteous because no one else is is quite taking control of things as you would like them to. And when we do this, God is so good. God doesn't abandon us. Notice that the reading Kirsten did comes after this abandonment of God's plan. God's covenant is is renewed in chapter 17. And what Abraham actually does after uh, what we read, uh, what Kirsten read for us is he laughs at God. Because he's like, God, don't, don't you know how old we are? This is impossible. But here's the thing. God is faithful even when we screw up. And sometimes our plans need to die Sometimes our hopes, in fact, I'm going to go beyond that and not just say sometimes, our plans need to die. Our ideas of what life, of what I want for my life and and my hopes and plans need to die before God can raise me to life. And that's what happens here. Because after this episode of mistrust and taking things into their own hands, Abraham and Sarah are left in an even more impossible position and it becomes abundantly clear, unless God does it, unless God does it, it's not gonna happen. And that's not a terrible place to be. Receptive faith embraces this expansive vision of the greatness of God and of his limitless love and power, and it waits. It waits in hopeful expectation that God will do what he said he would do. And let's be honest. When you think about your life, most of the time God does his work in spite of us, right? In spite of our clumsiness, in spite of our thickness and our dullness. Almost like it's a reminder, this isn't about you and your power, it's about me. A couple years ago, I was at a prayer retreat for our denomination, and we were in small groups in a time of praying for healing uh, for one another. And I was in a group with a a pastor who's a bit older than me with his wife and me. It's kind of like a bit of a triangle there. Uh, 
And so I, I took a vial of oil because um, this pastor, he had said, you know, my jaw's really hurting. Would you pray for me? I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. So I took a vial of oil, um, put some oil on my finger. It's not magic. It's just like a sign of God's healing. And this is something we do in our denomination. Um, if that's new to you, uh, come ask me about it. It's awesome. Um, and I anointed his forehead with oil and I started praying, just asking God to heal him. And midway through my prayer, I looked up and I noticed his forehead was bleeding. Okay. I kept praying, hoping, you know, this little drop of blood would just kind of go away. <laughs> I looked up a bit later and he was like, it was like dripping down his forehead, coming like to his nose. And I just stopped and I said, hey man, I'm, I'm sorry, you're bleeding. And, and I think I made you bleed. Um, and so what I didn't know was that when I had opened the vial of oil, it was a glass vial just like this. Part of the opening had like uh, splintered off and then stuck to my finger. And so when I anointed him with oil, I cut his forehead open. Uh, and it was so embarrassing. Uh, his wife was like, who is this guy? Where did we find him? Um, I'm supposed to be praying for the man's healing and I'm making it worse. I was mortally embarrassed. It was a really awkward situation, but you know what happened? The next day he came up to me. He was like, hey, Andrew, just wanted to let you know, my jaw feels a lot better. Thanks for praying for me. I said, that's awesome. <laughs> so watch out when someone goes to anoint your forehead with oil. I'm just kidding. Why am I telling you this? I think God did this just to show me this is about him and his power. It's not about your ability to perform or do things well. And in fact, when you realize that it's about God doing his work, we give him all the glory. God uses our weakness and our foolishness to make it so abundantly clear. God is in charge and he's able to use our weakness to demonstrate his power. So and receptivity means we're not gonna take things into our own hands and mistrust the love of God. It also means that we're not going to uh, check out into passivity. Receptivity, uh, to say that only God can bring about God's purposes doesn't mean we get to check out. It doesn't mean everything uh, that's gonna happen in your life and in the world has already been scheduled so that you, know, you have no influence over it. That's not at all what receptive faith is. That's resignation. And that's despair. It is true that God is the one who moves history and he makes his will happen. He's the one who brings the kingdom, but it's also true that he calls you and I into the arena of his work. He calls us to get in there with him. Receptivity means walking that fine line, right? Between taking matters into my own hands and checking out into passivity. And the way we walk this line is through participation participation. A Christian with receptive faith is like a sailor. Sailors cannot create the wind that make the ship go. They can't make it happen, but here's what sailors do know how to do. They know how to position the boat in such a way so that when the wind does come, good things happen. They study the wind, they know its habits, they know how it works, and they know the ship. 
And so they position that ship to catch the wind in the sails, right? And generate momentum to get them to where they need to go. That's what receptive faith is like. It participates in what God is already doing and is attentive to the movements of his spirit. And there are all kinds of ways in in the Christian life that we can cultivate that posture of receptivity. Prayer is one of them, and I would say the one that infuses everything else. Uh, Prayer, uh, our need to to press into our relationship with the Lord, to get into that quiet place with him, uh, to daily receive from him the word of the gospel, the word of grace, is crucial to cultivating this posture of receptivity. Look at what Jesus says. He's actually teaching about prayer. He's just given the Lord's prayer to his disciples when they asked him, Jesus, we need you to teach us how to pray. He's like, yeah, I sure do, because you guys have no idea. And so Jesus is teaching them to pray, and he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Prayer is part of how we participate. Prayer is part of how God opens our eyes to see what he's doing and to show us the steps we need to take in step with him. Another practical thing, the Bible. Where where did we see this verse? It's, it's, It's all in here, you guys. This teaching on prayer, this this revelation of who God is and what he's doing in the world and in our lives and and what difference it makes to you and I, it's all here. We've got to get into this book. How else do we cultivate this receptivity? What we're doing here this morning, being in community with others. We, We come to church looking to give our praise to God, but also in that action, looking to receive from him. It's in community that you will receive gifts of wisdom and learning and encouragement from those around you in a way that you could never do on your own. You would never get that on your own. It's in community that God often speaks the apt word, a prophetic word that that, that just cuts through what you are going through in your life and speaks to the heart of the issue that you're facing. This happens in community. And another way we, we foster this receptivity is obedience, right? Obedience shows that I'm actually receiving God's teaching and I'm stepping out in faith, right? If we're not receiving and applying what's already been given to us, right? So, so here's like this feast, right? If I'm, if I'm not receiving this and God has just clearly given it to me, I'm showing I'm not ready to receive more of what God has to give. What about times when the fountain is running dry? Right, all this talk about receiving. What about times when you are in a posture and you are desperate for connection and relationship with God and it just doesn't seem to be coming? I would commend to you the practice of getting into the Psalms. The Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible. It's the prayer book of the church. And I would recommend you receive God's own words and give them back to him in prayer. 
in these dry times. Check it out, what it says in Psalm 77. Don't go there, I'll just read this for you. Um, the, the person writing the psalm is in one of those dry places and, and listen to what he says. He just lets God have, have it. He says, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Guys, these are God's words in the Bible given to us to voice our own confusion and our perplexity as we walk this life. Press into the relationship, even in a season of dryness, and you'll find yourself receiving in ways that you never thought possible and in ways that will deepen your walk with Jesus. You, you will uh, experience a participation with Christ, not only in the good things, but dare I say, in suffering. That was something Paul commended to the church, that we would know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. Receptive faith participates with abandon in what God is doing in yourself and in the world. Now, I wanna talk to, about a major barrier. There are all kinds of barriers we have to receiving and one of those is pride. Pride is a sin, okay? It's a form of rebellion against God where we just turn inward on ourselves. It's this inwardness and self-preoccupation. But you might wonder, how is pride a barrier to receiving? It's because in order to receive from God, you need to admit the greatness of God. In order to receive from God, you need to admit the greatness of God. Why is that? Because you receive because you're in a position of need, right? That's, that's just our position before God. But pride and, and when our ego kicks in is all about convincing ourselves and the world around us of our own greatness, right? Pride says, hey, everyone, look at me, how great I am. It's about being superior to others and in competition with them, and you always wanna come out on top. But here's the deal, when it comes to God, you and I are faced with one who is greater, plain and simple. When it comes to God, we are faced with one who is far greater than us. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself and unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. As long as we are pride and we let pride live in us, and sometimes we baptize it with the notion of self-respect, um, right? We can call pride many things in our lives, but as long as we're holding on to our pride, we really won't be able to receive because to receive, we actually need to look to the one who's above us and greater than us and accept our low position before him. It means admitting our lowliness, our weakness, our hunger. God fills the hungry with good things, but if you don't think you're hungry, why would God fill you? you're not gonna receive his gift. 
We need to realize our spiritual bankruptcy, our moral bankruptcy, and acknowledge his true greatness. And this is what Mary does so well. She lives with this dual awareness of her own lowliness and of God's greatness. She calls herself the Lord's servant. She talks about how God has been mindful of her in her lowliness, her humble state. She sings about how God has lifted up the lowly and filled the hungry. She knew her lowliness. That didn't mean she was self-deprecating. That didn't mean she put herself down. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. There's a distinction there. But she also held God's greatness in her vision. We need to keep those two together if we're gonna be aware of our uh, uh, receptive in our faith um, and and pressing into this relationship and and able to receive and to let our pride die. And now I wanna talk about the supreme gift. Mary has been mentioning all these things that God has given. We've been seeing them in her song. But what all these things actually point to and what Mary and her story actually point us to is the very center of Christianity and the very center of what it means to be a Christian. And that is to receive Jesus and be united with him and have his very life formed in us. That's the center. That's the center that holds it all together. It's Christ himself. And all these other gifts, uh, the gift of mercy, the gift of grace, the gift of peace, the gift of reconciliation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of joy, whatever it is, it, it comes through this one central gift that Jesus himself and his life would be formed in us. And that's what God is doing at Christmas. That's the gift that God is giving at Christmas. It's about God giving himself to us, his very life to us. Think about that for a moment. Think about what happened when God became a human. P.T. Forsyth said, the world could only be saved by somebody as large as the world and indeed larger. Think about what it means for the one who is larger in the world to come into the world. As a baby, completely vulnerable, completely in the care of a teenage girl and her not yet consummated marriage relationship with Joseph. In a manger, traveling far distances to be where they are because of the census that had been called. Think about the vulnerability that God entered into. Think about the lowliness that he entered into. And he entered into it unreservedly, right? There's no going back on that. There's no going back on God taking on flesh. The God of the universe and all his greatness became lowly. And he took our lowliness, he took our sin, he took our death, he took our curse, onto himself in order to reconcile us and bring us into his greatness. In order to bring us into his holiness, into his life, into his fullness. The gift that comes to us at Christmas is larger than life, folks. It's larger than life. It's the most precious gift. God welcomes us 
to come to himself through Christ. But here's the question. Here's probably the most important question you can ask in your life. Will I receive it? Will I receive this gift? Pastor Tim was quoting from John chapter one about the light coming into the world. And here's what it says when we get to verse nine. Talks about the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. His own did not receive him. Don't think it's an easy thing to receive Jesus. Don't think it's the popular thing. Don't think it's the thing that the world has always done and I'll just keep going in that trajectory because the reality is the world didn't receive him. We crucified him. Receiving Jesus goes against the grain of our sinful nature because receiving Jesus means receiving one who is Lord, which means that I need to get off the throne of my life and let Jesus reign over me which entails a kind of death, right? A a death to myself, which entails Jesus applying the cross to my life and me receiving that, saying, yeah, Jesus, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna let you reign and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna bring me back to life. Consider the question seriously, will you receive the gift? Will you receive the supreme gift? The world didn't receive Jesus, but John continues, and this we did here, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To be a child of God, that's our deepest longing. To have peace with our Father, to live in the grace and love of the creator. That's the gift that's being offered us at Christmas. Will we receive it? Maybe for you this morning for the first time. Or maybe for you in a deeper and fresh way because you've been neglecting that relationship. I don't know. But press in as Jesus is speaking to us this morning and consider, will I receive the gift? May we do so, amen, amen. I wanna invite the worship team to come as they close us out with a couple songs of worship.